All right. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which I believe is on page 1220, as we continue our Love is Sermon series. And um, as we get going here, I want to let you know that the reason the bulletin says something different than the screen right now is because late in the week after everything had been printed, I felt led to uh, take things in a different direction uh, because I felt the Lord leading me to uh, do what we might call a little excursus. And if you know what an excursus is, usually if you're reading through a book, often uh, this happens in nonfiction books, there's kind of a point where the conversation halts for a moment so you can focus on something else that will help you jump back into the conversation with more awareness or more context for what's taking place. And so um, that's what this morning is. We're going to take a little excursus and talk about uh, union, communion, and community, which hopefully will make a lot more sense as we proceed this morning. Uh, But that's why there's a difference in your bulletin and what we're about to talk about. But let's hear now God's holy true and life-giving word, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8a. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise your name. We thank you that you've gathered us here this morning, that you've filled our hearts with love for you and our tongues with song in praise of you and your grace. Uh, We thank you for the baptism, this beautiful picture of what you do through faith in us, what we receive through faith in you, rather. Father, we uh, pray that as we think about some things here this morning, that they will help us finish out the sermon series on love in a way that will truly impact each of us individually and us corporately as a body of believers. We want you to do what only you can do in transforming us and giving us yourself and Christ-likeness and the sweet, sweet community that that brings about. So be with us now. Bless us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the truth of the things that we'll talk about. For your glory and for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is so good to be all together. Can I just say that? I love our summer uh, services where we're all together. And I want to take this opportunity to say thank you once again. I know we said it on Facebook and we said it in the email, but I want to say publicly on behalf of Hannah, my wife, uh, and myself, we are so thankful to all of you for the cruise that you sent us on last week. 
And if you're a guest with us, you may not know that in November, uh, to celebrate us being here for over 10 years, this church, this congregation gave us a cruise, and we were able to take that last weekend. It was awesome. We had a wonderful time, and we just we felt so overwhelmed uh, with gratitude to God and, and to you all. We felt very loved. And I just wanted to let you know uh, it's reciprocated. Uh, we love you guys. I was so thankful for you. And um, it was interesting. I was with our deacons on Wednesday of this past week, which, by the way, our deacons are so incredible. They do so much behind the scenes to care for people's needs. Um, can, if you're a deacon, would you just stand real quick? I know I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but would you stand? Do we have any deacons with us this morning? Yes, we do. Can we just say thank you to our deacons? These guys, uh, being at that meeting is so encouraging for me because I hear about all the different things that they're doing that often goes uh, not talked about. But nonetheless, they are wonderful. One of them uh, asked me, he said, "Didn't, didn't you go on your cruise this past weekend? I said, yeah. He said, well, you don't look very tan. I said, thank you for noticing that, Deacon. Um, and I explained that I have a skin condition that doctors call being Scandinavian. Okay, we just, we just, we don't get tan. We go from white to red and immediately back to white, and that's okay. Um, One of the reasons that even though we were given that cruise uh, in November, one of the reasons we took it, the main reason we took it last weekend is because it was uh, enabled us to celebrate our 13th anniversary on the ship. Okay, so we've been married for 13 years and uh, we were really excited to celebrate our 13th 13th anniversary uh, out on the ocean. And it was actually that concept, thinking about our marriage, uh, thinking about marriage in general, and thinking about what Paul has been teaching us, uh, what God has been teaching us through Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 13 for the last several weeks, that I think God used to lead me towards doing this little excursus and talking about these concepts that I think will help us jump back in for the last couple weeks of the series on love, which will only be a couple more weeks, and then we'll never talk about love again, okay? That's it. (laughs) I'm kidding, by the way, um, but it will only be a couple more weeks. I want to I talk about these things, union, communion, and community, uh, particularly uh, in the way that marriage helps us understand them. So think about marriage for a minute, and th- these are things you can understand whether or not you are married. But in marriage, there's two key concepts or two key aspects. There's really three, uh, but two for sure that are always there. And that is, in a marriage, there's both what we might call marriage, the marriage union and marriage communion. Union and communion. So let me explain what these mean and then show you how they help us understand the gospel as well as what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's going on and on about love. So marriage union, you could say, is the static or unchanging legal bond between a husband and a wife, which entitles them to cohabitation and co-ownership. Okay, there's more to it than that, but these two key things. When people are married, 
they have this legal bond. Legally, they can live together. They can co-own all things. In fact, as soon as they get married, legally, the husband owns everything the wife owned before and the wife owns everything the husband owned before. They are co-owners now of all things that they had. So I've told you before that the day before I was married to Hannah, Hannah was the proud owner of a 1993 Toyota Camry. I was the owner of a 1997 Chevy Camaro. And so the minute that we were married, suddenly I now was the owner not only of a Camaro, but also a Camry. And she became the immediate co-owner not only of a Camry, but also the Camaro, which she said we need to immediately sell, and we did. And uh, then we lived with our purple Camry. But think about that for a second. Think about that. Legally, the minute we said those I do's, we, nobody could take away that Camry from me. Okay, it was mine. So marriage union is that legal bond between husband and wife. Now, the marriage communion, marriage communion is the dynamic relational experience enjoyed by a married couple. It's dynamic, it, it, meaning it changes. Uh, it, it improves with effort. The marriage communion is the dynamic relational experience enjoyed by a married couple, which improves with effort as the husband and wife seek to be more patient with one another, more kind to one another, and so on. That communion grows. Now, if you add children, if children come for that husband and wife, then you've got a marriage community, don't you? But now, here's what I want you to think about. The crews did absolutely nothing for our marriage union. That's been static. It's been the exact same. Our marital status has been married for 13 years. So the crews did absolutely nothing for our marriage union. But it did wonderful things for our marriage communion. Okay? Because we talked a lot. Uh, we got to listen to one another. We apologized for some things. Okay, I apologized for some things. <laughs> we look forward to even greater communion. In the future, our joy in our marriage got a little booster shot. Our communion with one another got a little sweeter. And everybody wants that, right? Everybody wants to be, uh, to have that with their spouse. If you're married, you want to have that communion and you want it to be as sweet as it can be. Now, here's what's interesting. So many places throughout the scriptures, God describes his relationship with his people through the analogy of marriage. One example would be in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is talking about marriage and what husbands are to do and what wives are to do. And then suddenly he says, this mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And we see several places in the Old Testament too. God uses this analogy of marriage to help us understand his relationship with us. 
that we have with him through faith in Christ. And here's why this is so important. This concept of marriage really helps us understand how we're connected, how we're related, how we relate to God through faith in Christ. Marriage exists ultimately to help us understand the gospel. So let's think about our relationship with God through faith in Christ. Just like in a marriage, there's both union and communion. There's both union and communion. So think about our union with Christ. That is referring to the static, so unchanging, legal bond between Christ and Christians, which entitle us as Christians to cohabitate, to live in the presence of Christ, who's with us at all times, and to co-ownership. It's very similar to marriage. Union with Christ, being united to Christ, entitles us to cohabitation and co-ownership. Union with Christ is received by faith alone. There's nothing that you or I do to be united to Christ. We receive it through faith alone. And this is really important. This is something that we have to be crystal clear on as we continue to talk about love and really in our walk with Jesus. Because understanding how we are united to Christ uh, helps us prevent what we would call legalism. Legalism is not the gospel. So let's talk briefly about the difference between legalism and the gospel. Legalism is the idea or the belief that union with Christ and everything that comes to us through our union with Christ is achieved or maintained through things that we do or do not do. That's legalism. Legalism is the idea that we have to do certain things or not do certain things if we want to be united to Christ. That is not the gospel. Legalism is from the pit of hell and it smells like smoke. The Bible teaches all the way throughout the gospel. The gospel is the good news, not good advice. It's the good news of what God has done for us who believe in and through Christ. That he has united us to Christ. And therefore, just like in a marriage, everything he had, we now own. And everything we had, he now owns. And that happens through faith alone. It's not through anything that we do. I was thinking about this because I I did a wedding uh, a couple weeks ago. And I want to ask you a question. Uh, In a wedding, who marries whom? Does the groom marry the bride? Does the bride marry the groom? Some of you might be thinking, well, the groom marries the bride. And others might be thinking, well, I guess the bride marries the groom. You're both wrong. The minister marries the bride to the groom and the groom 
to the bride. The minister who's representing God marries the groom to the bride and the bride to the groom. Which is why Jesus says in Matthew 19, he refers to married couples as what God has joined together. So it's really not even the minister, is it? It's God who joins the husband to the wife and the husband and the wife to the husband. The union is something given to both of them, isn't it? Now, when you think about that, in one sense, we could, we could see God the Father as the ultimate minister who gives to Christ and his church a union. God has joined Christ, the perfect one, to you and I, the church, the imperfect ones. And in that union, which we receive by faith alone, all the promises of the gospel flow to us freely because of what belonged to Christ. So because now Christ is united to us, we are united to Christ. All of my sin, all of your sin, if you're a believer, that the only thing you ever owned was given to Christ, which he gladly took and suffered for on the cross, taking all of our condemnation and, and removing our sin from us and putting it as far from us as the east is from the west. That's what he got out of the deal. What did we get? We got his perfectly righteous life and his perfectly sin-atoning death. The death is how he paid for our sins and his righteousness is imputed to us and received through faith alone. So that because we are legally bound to him and he's legally bound to us, we own both the righteousness we never earned on our own and the forgiveness we could never attain to. Because of that union and that union comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, just like in marriage, there's a union, which is a legal reality, an unchanging bond. In our relationship with Christ, there is meant to be communion as well. So as we are followers of Jesus, we should understand both our union with Christ, which comes through faith alone, in Christ alone, and then also our communion with Christ. And I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper. We refer to that as communion. I'm talking about what it represents, that communion, that friendship, communion with Christ. Our communion with Christ is the dynamic relational experience enjoyed fully by Christ. You're a typo up there. Never mind. Communion with Christ is the dynamic relational experience enjoyed fully by Christ and increasingly by Christians through effort. Namely, deeper repentance, more faith, more reliance upon the Holy Spirit for strength to obey. Just like in a marriage... The union doesn't change. But the communion becomes sweeter and sweeter and sweeter when there's effort. So here's what we have to understand. 
for the Bible to call us to obedience or for you and I to call each other to trust and obey the Lord is not legalism. Unless we're saying that doing those things will impact our union with Christ, which they will not. Neither will our failings. It's not legalism to say, trust Christ more, obey him more. It's love. Why? Because God has promised to us in his word that the union we have with Christ is free and it enables and empowers us to rely on the Holy Spirit who dwells within us so that we might put forth effort so that we can have sweeter and more joyful communion with the one who has redeemed us. What stands in the way of you and I having a sweeter, more powerful, beautiful relationship with Jesus is our sin. It's not him. He's perfect. He doesn't need to change. If God took the church and Christ to marital counseling, he wouldn't say to Christ, you've done everything perfectly. What could you do differently? He would simply say to us, the bride. Beloved child, there is such sweeter communion that I want for you and my son. He would remind us that the good news is not just that we can be forgiven and declared righteous, but now we get to have sweet communion with the creator and sustainer of all things. He would remind us, as Paul says in Romans 8, that we're being conformed to the image of his son. He's perfectly enjoying his communion with us. And as we repent and believe and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and pursue holiness, we begin more and more to enjoy greater and greater and sweeter and sweeter communion with him from our side of the equation. And so here's why I wanted to, I felt the Lord leading us to go on this excursus. I think it helps us make a lot of sense of why Paul jumps into this description of what love is and what it is not, what it does and what it does not do. If you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, you'll know that in the first few chapters, Paul is addressing all these divisions. They are fighting. They are not getting along. In chapter 5, he addresses the fact that they're completely ignoring some sin that's happening. It's destroying lives and they're not doing anything about it. In chapter 6, he's saying, "You guys, why are you guys suing each other? Stop suing each other. And he's telling them that these lawsuits aren't going to get them what they want. And so he's been talking about how there's just very weak communion among them or community among them. Paul wants them not only to have sweeter communion with Christ. Can't do anything about their union. That's static. That doesn't change. It was received by grace through faith alone. 
They can do more to have sweeter communion with Christ, but that will also create sweeter communion with one another. So let's talk about three things purchased by Christ thirdly here. Let's think about this. There's three things at least. Technically, there's more obviously, but three of these things germane to what we're talking about with love. One, we know that Christ has purchased for us his union with us. He earned the union that God has made between us and him on the cross fully in his life, death, burial, resurrection, all by himself. We've received it through faith alone. That union entitles us to communion with him. Christ did not only want to pay for our sins that we could be saved, but he wants to live with us. And for us to have as much joy in him as as he does in us. And the other part of that is just like when there's a marriage and there's children, there's now a community. Well, if we are in union with Christ, we not only are meant to have communion with him, but also communion with one another. We believe in the communion of the saints, we say in the Apostles' Creed. We're meant to have very powerful, beautiful community. And here's the thing. Nothing we can do or do not do, no effort of our own can affect our union. Again, that is... By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all glory to God alone. But communion with Christ and with one another improves through Christ-centered, grace-driven, spirit-powered effort. This is so important because it helps us understand that when we are called to obey in the scriptures, it's not legalism. It's not about our union. It's not about our forgiveness and our righteousness in God's sight. It's about our communion. He wants us to have a sweeter and sweeter communion with one, with him, and then also with one another. Think about this. In John 15, uh, Jesus is talking about our union and our communion. He talks about union by saying that we are the vine and he is the branches. That's backwards. Um, Were you paying attention? Uh, He is the vine and we are the branches he's saying he says i'm the vine you are the branches we're united and then he talks about a communion in verse 11 when he says these things i have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full and so what is he saying there he's saying our union is done by him but our communion our joy In our communion, that sweeter, sweeter communion does come from the things that we do. That's why Jesus calls us to grow, to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. But it also impacts our communion with one another. So you got these Corinthians that are not getting along, and then Paul comes in and he says, let's love. Now I want you to envision something for a second. If you close your Bible, open it. And I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a. And I want you to see now, I think we can understand what Paul is doing. He's not calling us to love and teaching us what love looks like just so that we're better at loving. He knows that we need to hear these things so that our communion with one another grows sweeter. And you tell me, how would you like to be a part of a church community that could be described like this? They're all patient and kind with one another. 
They don't envy each other and they don't boast. They're not arrogant or rude towards one another. They don't insist on their own way. They don't get irritable or resentful towards one another. They don't rejoice at wrongdoing. They do rejoice at the truth. They always protect each other. How great was Mike's sermon last week. They always protect each other. They cover each other. They always believe each other. They give each other the benefit of the doubt. They're always hopeful about each other. Even when somebody messes up big, they still know that the power of God is at work in them. They stay hopeful about each other. And their love for each other never ends. They just don't give up on each other. I want to be part of a church like that. God wants us to have a church community like that. Entrance into the community is free. It's free. Christ has paid it all. All to him we owe. He's paid for our sins on the cross. He's given us his righteousness, which are legally ours because of our union, that union we've received by faith. So entrance is free. Enjoyment in the community of God's people. It takes effort. Christ-centered, grace-driven, spirit-powered effort for the sake of sweeter communion with Christ and sweeter communion with one another. And as we're committing ourselves to that with real repentance and real faith, we get to be more and more a community that sounds like this, that could be described like this. Do you know you'll never find a community like that on this earth? Except perhaps if you find a church where everybody believes and understands their union with Christ and puts no effort towards that. But also believes and understands their communion with Christ and does put effort towards that. And the good news is, we can be, already are in many respects, but we can be even more, have sweet communion with one another, flowing out of our growing and sweetening communion with Christ, flowing out of our perfect and permanent and free union with Christ. So let's do that. And as we finish out these last few weeks talking about love, let's remember. It's not about our union. It's about sweeter communion with him and with one another. And you see what the world thinks about that. See what the world thinks of this church body as we become a group of people that loves each other in ways that the world just can't understand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for theological terms like this that are not things we're simply meant to know, but things that are meant to help us know you more. There may be some here, Lord, who have never 
received the gift of union with Christ. They've never really put their faith in him. Holy Spirit, today, if they hear your voice, do not let them harden their hearts. Let them receive the gifts that accompany union with Christ as they receive Christ by faith alone. And for all of us who do know you through faith in Christ, would you increase our communion with him? Lord Jesus, help us put forth the spirit-powered effort so that our communion with you grows and let that then flow out into our church body that we love each other so well that the world wants in. And we'll be able to tell them the good news. It's free. We pray these things in Jesus' name, for his sake. Amen.